This is Ron Friends, comics illustrator, and this is a bumper for the amazing Spider Talk. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan and I'm the founder and editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Hiya, Dan. Hi. I'm Mark Chinacchio. What are you doing here? Well, I'm the founder of Chasing Amazing. That That's a cool blog that doesn't really exist anymore, but you can still find it. And I'm currently an editor at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Uh, what? Uh, you come here often? <laughs> Yeah, you know. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Dan? Just every week or so. Yeah. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here at this, I guess it seems kind of like a weird watering hole of, of uh, podcast host meetups. Uh, but yeah, we're doing a, a special essentials episode of Amazing Spider Talk. And uh, we hope you enjoyed this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. See, what people didn't realize was when we were doing the B-Book reviews, the old format, it was kind of a version of speed dating. Oh, where, like every, every, every minute, ding, switch tables. Now let's talk about Spider-Woman. Ding. <laughs> we're a match made in heaven here, Mark. You bet. Well, anyway, uh, for this episode, when we're not talking about speed dating, we'll be discussing a potential essential Spider-Man comic. And uh, it's, it's my pick, um, so you're going to like it. Uh, that pick is Homecoming, not the movie, but the comic book. That's Amazing Spider-Man number 252 by Tom DeFalco, Roger Stern, and Ron Friends. Uh, then we got a couple of spider news items, and uh, I think that's about it. Awesome. You know, Mark, I'm a little worried that after this music, upcoming musical break, we're going to come back in completely different outfits. Do you think our listeners will know or care? No. <laughs> <laughs> Ray! Mark, it's nice to see you back, this time wearing all black. Uh, yes. Fitting for our discussion of Amazing Spider-Man 252. Which, it's very uh, slimming. It's very slimming. That too, that too, that too. Mark, it's, like, it's almost like you've lost a lot of weight recently. Uh, <laughs> yes, you know, I, I, that's what happens when you go to other planets. Uh, you know, you can't eat the food. That's, you know, so Don't drink the, the just water goes. on Beyonder World or whatever. No, no, it just, it, it just makes everything go right through you if you catch my drift. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, so Amazing Spider-Man 252, also known as Homecoming, this is your essential pick. Uh, we're coming towards the end of these essentials, but uh, they're all equally valuable. Why did you put this one on your list? Uh, do tell. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. And initially I actually wanted to talk about like the entire alien suit saga, which would have been like this issue. And then the, the, the following 
six or seven up to 258. Uh, that issue that we had Ron friends on to talk about, uh, many moons ago. But, um, I kind of just settled on doing 252, um, both for brevity's sake and because I think from a very self-contained standpoint, this, this issue says everything you kind of need to say about, uh, this new era of Spider-Man. Um, I mean, in terms of history, this is an important comic. It's, it's the first appearance of the symbiote, the black suit, um, which is, you know, I probably one of the most dramatic status quo shifts in Spider-Man history. Yeah, it's just a costume, but I mean, when you think about everything that came from that costume that followed, I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to undersell the importance of putting Spider-Man in, in a black costume. Ended up being um, beyond that, um, this also ties in intricately. Uh, to Marvel's first really big event, which was Secret Wars. Um, you know, we're, we're in an event-driven industry now, but at the time, these, these kind of events were, you know, one a year most, and, and, you know, it was kind of a big experiment for Marvel to do something where, um, a, a line-wide comic book series would have impacts on each individual series. You know, for Spider-Man, it was, he can't, you know, he came back, uh, with this new costume, but, at, you know, kind of in a quirky little marketing technique, uh, the issue of Secret Wars where he obtains the costume actually had not come out at the point where he shows up in 252 with the new costume. So it kind of begs the question to the reader, like, oh, you got to go read this other series to find out how he got these these new threads, um, which is pretty clever. Um, so that, that to me puts it in the essential. And then like, I mean, in, ter- in terms of the content, I referred to this a few, a few minutes ago about, um, kind of maybe doing this whole run of issues by DeFalco and friends. Um, and I settled on this one because like, it, it, it really is with, with, I mean, Roger Stern still provided the plot, the general plot for this. And, yeah. um, you know, it, that, that and, and his his contributions are important because as as kind of my research for things showed, I mean, Stern was basically one of the the ringleaders behind making the suit alive. Um, that was kind of one of his last parting shots before leaving Spider-Man for good. Um, but um, with that said, there's there's an approach to this comic. I mean, all the way from the fact that it's a it's a the cover is an homage to Amazing Fantasy 15 where. just everything about it kind of has this it's a new era of spider-man and it's also kind of funny because friends would leave for the next two issues for rick leonardi and then come back and then have a sustained run with tom defalco uh because i don't think ron friends was initially supposed to be the everyday every month artist uh so i guess there was kind of a push for him to be that person um but even with that said, like the two of them together just kind of like set out to kind of craft this like love letter to all things Spider-Man. And, and I'll, I'll go into finer detail, but in terms of the supporting cast in New York City and, and his powers and, and, his, and, and all the things that make Spider-Man Spider-Man, it, it, it kind of serves of what, you know, if this was done in the modern era, this would probably be like a volume two or a volume three issue one. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a major jumping on point for new readers. Uh, it's very self-contained. It's got that every comic is somebody's first comic feel to it. And I think that in tandem with like these historical tidbits make this an essential pick. It's a good, it's a good, uh, uh, pick. 
and I, I don't know how I feel about it in regards to the word essential, um, but I, I do think the one thing that really stands out to me about this issue is that it would be the first time that Spider-Man changes costumes, and I think that has kind of become, I think thanks to the success of the black suit, um, a key part of the character. Uh, and I think almost to the point of being abused uh, today, or in er, er, Slot's early run, where it was every other issue we got a new suit. Um, I don't know that I agree with you that like it's that big of a of a, of a reboot uh, that might justify number one. It actually, I think, is a really great example of how things used to be done in Marvel Comics, where you know, new creators wouldn't necessarily rock the boat with their debut. Um, they weren't looking to make, like, you know, quote, make their mark, you know, on, on the character, rather than kind of just extend the logical narrative and continue the legacy of the character. So I think in that way, it's actually a very refreshing, uh, 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 you know, handover of the reins of the character to someone new. Um, I think if people weren't looking super closely, you know, the Tom DeFalco and Roger Stern eras on the book, other you know, could almost blend together. And I think for me as a young person kind of did um, because it kind of seamlessly transitions from one to the other. Yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but I, I, I do think there are some pretty conscious breaks uh, from the older narrative. I mean, you know, with, with, with the Stern and Ramita Jr. run that preceded this, I mean, you know, obviously the Hobgoblin um, was a huge focus of it. Um, you know, there was... Um, the the black cat romance which kind of figured into it although that was written about more um specifically in spectacular i mean it still was addressed during stern's run um and and you know i think here between you know the costume coming in and and look i say what you will about it being abused and whatever but like i mean you got to remember when this when this was done it was considered very dramatic for a superhero not named Wolverine who probably would get a new costume every week it seemed like to get a makeover like this i mean this was very dramatic it was a huge risk i mean we've we've talked to Tom DeFalco about kind of the fear that the fans were going to hate this um when it came out so much so that they like they went forward with it and then planned to scrap it within <laughs> within like an issue <laughs> before being kind of forced by Secret Wars itself to carry it out for about six or seven issues. Um, I think if they weren't asked to scrap it, it probably wouldn't have become the Venom suit that we know today. Right, right. Um, which is, you know, obviously a key point. But but like like I was saying, I mean, with with the suit and some of the 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 storylines that were kind of being introduced and others that were kind of being put to bed, I think officially. Um, this really does feel like, like, even though it's a smooth transition from Stern to Falco, it's not like someone came in and said, I'm going to write Spider-Man an entirely new way. I mean, I, 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 when reading these issues, I, I get a very definitive sense of, okay, we're doing something different now. You know, we're, 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 we're not, you know, like we wouldn't, we wouldn't start talking about Hobgoblin again until, you know, another 10 issues or so, you know what I mean? And, and like, you know, there's there's stuff right away with Black Cat where you're like, um, 
you know, oh, we're going to need to talk about her. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, you know, because there's, there's some crap going on with her that I'm not too, I'm not a fan of. I mean, like, it's like they're, they're, you know, they're, they're sowing the seeds for that disintegration. And, um, I mean, there's even that scene very early on with, uh, Jonah and Robbie. And, you know, like one of the last issues of the, of the, um, Stern run was, Jonah resigning as as editor, but staying on as publisher of the Bugle for his role in the uh, the Scorpion creation being outed uh, by the Hobgoblin during their like little during his little extortion thing, um, and you know Jonah Jonah's trying to press Robbie to change the cover of the newspaper with all the heroes missing about you know what's Spider Man's role and Robbie's like my paper now. I'm not, you know, if you want to do what you do with Spider-Man, do it on, do it on your page. Yeah. And like, and like I said, it was just like very subtle messaging to me that indicate like this comic is going in a new direction. And, and as a, you know, as history would prove, it was a really interesting direction. So I don't know. That's why I kind of hang my hat on this idea of it being a, a, a bit of a soft reboot. Yeah, I, I I feel that. I guess I, I guess I just I don't think that the story in this issue is. I mean, it's not a complete story. It's really. I mean, this issue is primarily, like you said, these are the new seeds, and uh, this is the black suit in all of its glory and weirdness. Um, and there is some weird stuff here, like Peter putting his keys into his crotch. I don't know how you feel about that. <laughs> Uh, well, you know, it's a fanny pack. <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's the the super alien fanny pack from <laughs> from the Beyonders Secret Wars. Um, but yeah, I mean, really, that's the thing to talk about is the black suit and the striking design and and all of that stuff. And yeah, maybe maybe the the boldness of that suit is enough to put it in essentials territory. Right, and I mean. The boldness of the suit, but uh, and also what the suit came to be. I mean, you know what I mean. Like, like obviously, without the suit, you don't have venom. Without venom, you don't have carnage, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, like it's this is a comic and a storyline that gets called back upon with regularity. I mean, you know, there there was, albeit a poorly (laughs) a poorly received movie, a Spider-Man movie based on this comic. You know, that's based, true. That's true. Um, the, the, there have been cartoon series based on this comic. You know what I mean? Like, like the black suit is, you know, it's it's spoiler alert in the in the uh, the Spider-Man 100 Things book that I'm writing. The black suit saga gets its own chapter because it's it's really to me it's a really important era and a really important important um, turning point for the character and yeah. the story and, and the narrative. Cool. Sorry. <laughs> um, one of the things that I take away from this, and maybe it's just because we aren't seeing it in Spider-Man comics these days, and I, I have my own theories about why, is that like New York is a big character in this issue. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, um, that that that's for for certain. I mean, like you know, we 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 get some stuff early on in this comic where you know in addition to new york being a character i mean we 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 get a check-in on like the entire supporting cast like right up front uh which was really great and that was kind of commonplace for amazing spider-man during this era but like you know we're checking in with may and nathan lebetsky and black cat and and jonah and robbie and yada 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 um 
but um but then new york itself and and um there's this really kind of you know there's this focus going on throughout the entire story about these weird unbelievable things that peter had witnessed while on the battle world uh fighting secret wars and i i also always appreciated how um the way defalco and friends address it in this comic you know address address the the storyline that actually has not been written yet which is to be like ah it's so unbelievable they'll never no no one will ever see this <laughs> like <laughs> like 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 he destroys the film from his camera i mean it's like it's just so like no <laughs> like like, <laughs> like what are you doing <laughs> um and um there's this great you know, and, and and kind of like as an interlude to all that, you know, is we're, we're we're getting back into the setting. Well, it's not even getting back, but Peter is getting back into the setting of 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 his home, his place, and you know, New York in the eighties, which is, I mean, even more than New York was earlier in Spider Man. I mean, New York in the eighties specifically was such a unique character, um, and you know, by the end he he. It, meets up with these two i mean he refers to them as kids but i would say they're probably what they're they're teenagers or maybe like in their 20s i mean they're not young i would Uh, say they're like probably yeah like late teens yeah yeah um and they're like you know basically they're they're down on their luck uh you know uh you know they're i guess they're they're working class maybe they're annoyed about nafta um, I don't know. <laughs> uh, you know, taking all the steel mill jobs out of the city. Um, <laughs> but point being, um, you know, they just, they're kind of dissing on New York and their home and like, you know, what's, what's so great about this place. And, and, you know, Spidey kind of picks them up and goes web slinging with them. And, you know, it kind of makes them see, the city and from a new perspective and it just then also peter kind of talks about how it reaffirms his own beliefs and love for new york and it's 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 you know we we have those those love letter issues to new york um in spider-man history like like obviously the world trade center issue and 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 uh spider island the way that ended i felt was kind of a love letter to new york but like this is in a lot in its own way kind of less on the nose and a little more artful i feel um and i really as a new yorker appreciate kind of that it's not you know we're not looking at like big beautiful buildings lit up or 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 kind of absorbing the tragedy and watching people of the city come together it's more like yeah these are just a couple of street urchins for lack of a better word and we're you know we're just taking in kind of the 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 grim and the grit you know there's something that frank miller kind of exploited as like the seedy underbelly of 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 urban america um and just showing an affection and a, a, a gentleness to it and, and and i really really like that i wonder if that's why new york doesn't really play a prominent role in spider-man comics or even like marvel comics in general anymore i mean yes it, most of us set there but there is this kind of lack of affection for the city and i wonder if it's because new york has kind of become san- so sanitized since the 80s, it doesn't have that kind of, 
you can't really you can't go to Manhattan and go, and imagine a seedy underbelly, you know, of villains there, other than maybe going down to Wall Street. Uh, you know, it's it, funny. Yeah, I was gonna say, I uh, a couple of years ago I was at um, New York Comic Con and I, I I attended a panel. It was during Marvel's seventy fifth anniversary celebration and it was a it was a street level heroes panel so it was talking spider-man and daredevil and basically the, the you know the creators that we talk about all the time were there it was defalco it was rick leonardi it was jam demateus um and nascenti was there talking about like her daredevil run and you know and actually nascenti at one point re- referenced how like when she would go into like Marvel's bullpen, her, the offices, like she like got mugged a couple of times. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, and, and, and that kind of informed her writing about Hell's Kitchen in New York. And, you know, when she was writing Daredevil. Yeah. Now Hell's and, Kitchen is like the best, yeah, you know, food right. in the city. And right. Yeah. And, and I, and I asked the question and I, and I, you know, I, I, I'm a little, was a little disappointed because I don't feel like any of the, creators on the panel really addressed it where i was like you know how yeah i mean you guys kind of dealt with a version of frank miller's new york (laughs) when you were living there and writing these comics and you know like it's part of the reason why the street level isn't as emphasized anymore in favor of these like fantastical cosmic stories is because the street level, the real street level is, isn't as interesting anymore. You know, like, you know, what are we going to be writing about? Like Bloomberg's smoking ban or soda bans or something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like a superhero like, can't get a 20 ounce <laughs> golf in the city anymore. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's just like, it's, you know, we, I, I, I mean, where I live in Brooklyn, I have industry city, near me and industry city is like you know there's a chocolate fat uh, a chocolatier and uh <laughs> yeah, right. and, uh, and, uh, and 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 the brooklyn nets practice facility with a with open beautiful glass window facade looking out over the river to the skyline of lower manhattan is there and <laughs> this, yeah, this yeah. Industry. <laughs> mole man mole man's not going to attack anymore he's too busy you know walking around the street smoking pot in the east village you know yeah. and and getting one of his mole creatures a portrait in a dog portrait you know studio you know the the Doctor Strange's um, sanctorum. I mean, you know what's what's what's. It's like now a Starbucks, I think, right? I mean, you know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it's an artisanal cheese shop. Oh, uh, probably artisanal pickles. I do like uh, Murray's on Bleecker Street. That's that's well, the that's the artisanal cheese shop to go to. But 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 Murray's is also an institution. I yeah, mean, you know, yeah, that's true. I, 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 as I say, like if you uh, like, that's why I would say like artisanal pickles. I think is probably the better. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That's a very Brooklyn thing. Have you we ever have... been to those cheese caves that are under the street? Oh yeah, they're so good. No, you got <laughs> to put on these weird like like uh, like doctor's garments to go down there because you don't want to contaminate the cheese. <laughs> Anyway, point being, yeah, I, I, I do think that um, that that certainly plays a role. I, uh, you know, what you were talking about in terms of the experience of New York is just not what it once was. I mean, you know, we got a lot of it post nine eleven. I think because obviously nine eleven 
was nine eleven, and 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 that was, you know, so overwhelming in scope and 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 feeling that it just was easy, it kind of easily informed what people thought about New York and the country. Um, but also, I, I mean, you got to also wonder with kind of the the age of of comics and stuff like that, age of technology and whatnot. Um, not that it's a prerequisite to, to live where you work. But I mean, I think you, you got less people who write Marvel comics living in the city now. Yeah. I mean, Dan Slott lives in the city. I mean, we could, we could say what we want. And, and, and I do think Dan Slott probably works in, at least he used to work in New York a lot more than others do. Yeah, uh, a, little, a little bit, a, a little yeah. bit. I can't think I mean, like other than you know Spider Island. There's been a couple of spreads that he's done that are very New York. Yeah, but it's not on the uh, level of like Mark Wade writing New York. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like you got a bunch of of younger kids living in the South or living on the West Coast or something, and and they can do that. But I mean, there are probably some people who've just never set foot in the city writing about it now. I mean, and how is that going to inform you? It won't, it just won't, you know, like you, 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 you have to live in New York to feel what New York is. I mean, they're you, not going to make a Murray's cheese reference. No, <laughs> definitely not. They're not going to, they're not, you know, they, they can make the GW bridge, Brooklyn bridge show and not actually know, where the GW bridge is vis-a-vis the Brooklyn bridge. (laughs) The minute they make an Essebagel reference will be the minute I die. (laughs) We'll work on that. Um, (laughs) But I mean, you were in New York for how many years, Dan? I mean, you know, five and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and five and a half and say what you will about New York versus LA where you are now or whatever. But like, you, you know what I'm talking about in terms of, just feeling what it's about. I mean, and, and you were in it during a better transition period, right? I mean, like we're not, you weren't in for the dark days. No, but I wasn't there for like the skyline and all of that craziness. Right. Right. Um, but, but, but the point being is, is yeah, there's, there's, there is a, there's definitely a, 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 a gum under your shoe feel to this city, but, you're, you're, it's kind of like, ah, yeah, but it's my gum and it's my shoe and I'm happy to be stuck in it kind of a thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, that, that reminds me of like this great Onion article where it was like thousands or like everybody flees New York after realizing it's a hellhole. And like, quote Woody Allen from the helicopter leaving the city. I never, I don't know what I ever saw in that place. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got you got to love the gum on your shoe. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. Um just before we totally transition out of this, I did want to talk a little bit about um you know, we talk about the suit and and whatnot and and I I really want to give credit to to Ron Friends and just how he he rendered the the really creepy mysterious elements of the costume in this like it, to me it really helped bait the curiosity of what is this thing um i mean what did, did you have any specific thoughts to um 
what he put forward art-wise in terms of the costume here? Well, I, I always find it interesting to watch kind of the evolution of how artists handle, you know, Venom as like an organic creature. I mean, Ron Friends, it's kind of, you know, he does a lot of like hatching, you know, like there's like these like, you know, parallel lines and stuff as it creeps up his body. It's not as organic as it eventually like became during like, say, you know, issue 375, the Mark Bagley, where it's like tendrils, you know, like wrapping around the face and, and stuff like that. Um, but there is a kind of there is a creepiness to it here. I love that the when he thinks about his camera, it pops out of his suit. Um, at, as bizarre as that is, where it's like, oh, I forgot this giant bulking camera was attached to my hip. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, there's some interesting stuff here. You had a particularly interesting note in our notes here that I didn't even notice until you pointed it out. Yeah, I mean, there's there's one one scene uh, when they're back in, when Peter's back in his apartment and he kind of unintentionally summons the costume and 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 the text from DeFalco actually describes it as a snake um, slithering across the um, the floor to to meet its toast or so to speak. Um, and when you actually look at the visual, it's it doesn't look like a snake as much as it looks like a shark. Um, it kind of has like a like, like a tail and a fin kind of protruding from it, and I, I just thought like you know maybe this is a, a, a bit of an overread on my part, but I thought given what the what the costume turned out to be, I mean it was uh, it was a predator. Um, I found the shark to uh, the fact that it looked like a shark to be a more fitting um, analogy um, in terms of the symbolism of, of what was happening. I mean, you know, a snake, you know, generally with snakes, it's kind of like, you know, they don't harm you unless you intimidate them kind of a thing. Whereas a shark is considered more aggressive, more stalks. It's, 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 you know, like if there's blood in the water, it will, it will attack kind of a thing, you know? Um, um, so I just felt like that was kind of a, better visualization of it i I just really oh you know anytime i see that panel and i see like the text refer to it as a snake but see what friends actually put forward i like what friends did better than what the text indicates like i think it's a more uh, it's more assertive for lack of a better word yeah that's really interesting and it's part of the reason i love you know kind of being a bit of a spider-man historian is i think the venom the creation of the character of venom it's such an interesting, like, retcon. It, like, recontextualizes all that you saw before, which had none of that intent, really, I don't think. Like, yeah. Um, and it's one of those things, like, knowing the editorial part of the story behind the scenes uh, gives you this kind of weird um, appreciation for how good these writers were kind of at rolling with the punches, you know, like, oh, we're just yeah. going to make this thing this, you know, and and lo and behold, they create one of the all-time great villains. And Yeah, very know, freewheeling. Yeah, and now within this kind of era where I think artists, like, they see their time on a character as, like, their chance to make a stamp, there's less of that kind of, like, you know, like, rewriting of history to kind of come up with something really cool, Um you know, being born out of it. Uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know. That, it's an interesting note that you saw there because, yeah, I don't think that was their intent at all. Their intent was to get rid of this thing. So they maybe added a bit of a, like, 
an evil bent to it. Right. Because, I mean, you know, the, the original, original, if I, if I can tangent for like another minute here, you know, the original, original um, premise for the costume, it was actually a fan solicitation. A, a fan sent in a letter saying, wouldn't it be cool if Spider-Man had a new costume? Um, and the costume would make him jump like higher and make him move faster and his webs were tougher or whatever. And, uh, you know, Marvel's editor in chief, Jim Shooter kind of, you know, basically bought the pitch and assigned DeFalco to work with this fan to make a tangible story out of it. And like DeFalco was like, after like struggling with this fan for a bit, it was like, there's no, there's no there there. You know what I mean? Like, what is this? You know, like, yeah. um, so it kind of like then took, you know, going back to the drawing board and, and getting secret wars and then, you know, Stern apparently on his, on his way out the door. Um, when, when, you know, knew that when this new costume was coming, he, he, he apparently said to, to DeFalco, ah, but you know, here's something to think about with the costume. And Dom was like, what? He's like, it's alive like that, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and that's where it kind of went from there. So yeah, it was very freewheeling and kind of like, you know, what, what was originally supposed to be was miles away from what we ended up on. And, and you kind of have to appreciate the roundabout yet seemingly organic way that we landed there. Well, very cool. Do you have any final thoughts or, or from this issue or? I mean, not, not particularly. I mean, you know, I get what you're saying about, is it essential? Is it not? I mean, like, I, I don't know for me, like, you know, when I guess why I would go back again to essential is if you're talking about, you know, trying to get fans into this character and into this universe. I mean, this is such a great self-contained story that you can just jump into and really without having a lot of prior information, get what you need out of it. You know what I mean? Like, and and to me, those are kind of like the comics where when I'm thinking of essentials that I really kind of want to jump, jump onto, you know? So, um, you know, and if you haven't read these issues, I mean, you can find them in so many reprints and Marvel Unlimited and everything like that. I mean, read this one, read the read the following seven, eight issues up to 258 where he gets rid of the costume. I mean, they're all great. Um, and of Lord course, knows we've talked about them. Yeah. And of course, you can read uh, Marvel Secret Wars number eight to see the actual mechanics behind how he got the costume. So there you go. All right, well, let's, let's move on to the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. It's the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. It's the club with the incredibly long-winded name. Yeah, the Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club. Time for new members to get 15 minutes of fame. And maybe even win a prize. All right, Dan. Well, uh, you know, Friendly Neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club, my favorite thing in the world to say. Um, you know, we couldn't do it without your support 
uh, listeners on our Patreon account, which, of course, you can access by going to superiorspidertalk.com and clicking on the Support Superior Spider Talk link. Uh, last episode, Dan, we talked about a giveaway, a prize, Amazing Spider-Man number 250. Uh, what was the result of that raffle, Dan? Yeah, we were giving it away to one of our Patreon supporters, and that Patreon supporter is none other than Nick Harrison. So, Nick... You are a lucky winner, and you're going to see that amazing Spider-Man number 250 showing up in your mail. Next week, we'll be doing another one of these, so uh, stay tuned. And you could win a prize if you sign up to be one of our members of our club. Uh, We're going to give away all kinds of awesome comics. So uh, stay tuned, and Nick, check your mailbox for this awesome prize. Excellent. Well, congratulations, Nick. All right, Dan. Well, maybe maybe one thing we uh, won't be giving away anymore are uh, digital copies of comics. <laughs> uh, and maybe in the Spider News section we could explain why. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Mark, we like to talk about spider news, and typically it's things we're, like, excited about. I'm not so sure that's the case here. I don't know. I mean, uh, this announcement's going to hit different audiences in different ways. So let's first talk about what happened or what was announced just the other day in, I guess, Marvel history. Mark, what is going on? Yeah, well, um, you know, what are you talking about? Uh, some people may not be happy. I mean, I always love it when, like, you get you get something for free for so long and then told you can't get it anymore. Um, well, it's, it's not a, entirely. I know, true. I know. I'm being I'm being glib. Okay. okay. So, um, for a number of years, you know, Marvel has been um, with its most of its books. I would say the vast majority at this point. Um, was giving away a, a free digital copy of the issue of the comic that you purchase. So, you know, you buy a copy of Amazing Spider-Man, and in the back you get the little peel sticker, and, and you get your digital copy of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, you know, what, what people did with those codes, um, I guess, was was kind of always up to the reader. I mean, Marvel never indicated, like, you couldn't share or or, you know... I mean, didn't they even like post something where multiple, you know, ways that multiple people can access the same code? I mean, oh, well, I they never just... posted that, but but people figured it out that you could basically share it with like an unlimited number of people. Okay, well, so you know, we we certainly liked using those codes. I mean, you know, Dan likes, you know, he certainly likes to grab images um, of of the comics to put in our podcast feed. But even beyond that. You know, I'm on the New York City subway. I don't necessarily like having hard copies on the subway with me. I like to I, I, I buy my comics and then I download the codes and, and download them onto my iPad and read them that way. Um, so I'm not jostling with hard paper and risking getting it bent or wet or whatever on the train. Um, but as it, as it works out, we're, we're, we're going to be Marvel. I, when is this effective? Is it like a couple of months from I think now? It's in February. Okay, so like next month um, is is they're still going to give you a digital uh, code, 
uh, um, at the back end of the issue, but it will not be for a copy of the comic you had purchased. Um, it will instead um, be kind of, I guess, a randomized classic issue. It will be a first issue of a, of a classic arc of a Marvel story, um, obviously with the intent of, hey, you know, you read this one and, and maybe there's a trade paperback coming out in a couple of months or has just come out. You could buy the whole thing and read the whole run of comics. So, you know, obviously this won't change the price point of hard copy Marvel comics. Well, that's the uh, real question is for so long they said that the additional dollar was justified by the digital code. Right. But you're still getting additional content. It just won't be the content for that issue. I mean, I guess it's like, what do you, what, how, how much do you value the asset of what the code is? You know what I mean? Like, is, is, are you paying for a copy of that exact comic or are you paying for additional? Co- I mean, in some ways, you could spend this as you're getting more for your buck because you're getting the hard copy of the comic you just purchased and you're getting two other comics. Yeah, that's true, and 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 I also want to be clear that it's not every comic; it's only like major flag flagship books, like Avengers and Spider Man. Like smaller titles are not getting the digital code, uh, right. and so I wonder if they'll reduce the prices on their books or keep them at three ninety nine. Um, I think they're going to be hard pressed to sell books without digital codes that aren't as popular for the same price model. Yeah. I mean, this is, and, and, and just to kind of explain, I mean, I don't know if an executive from Marvel has said this plainly yet, but I mean, I think the, the, the general impetus for why they're doing this is, is that they're, they're losing, they're losing out on potential digital sales on comics because it's kind of, they're, they're giving away, the, the the milk for free, so to speak. I mean, you know, like it's, you know, what, you know, why why is someone going to like DC doesn't do any digital codes, and I guess you know with DC you have people who buy the hard copies, and then you just have people who are just all digital. Whereas with um with Marvel because of this model, I think it it there there's a belief that you know they they have the print sales, but maybe they're missing out on digital sales because either people who would buy it digitally are also downloading their own, their hard copies or they're sharing the codes with other people who would just buy the digital. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's clearly a belief that, um, they're, that the company is losing money on this model. I, I, I don't think, um, they'd be changing it if, they were making money on the current model. The, I mean, way, is that, that a fair? the way it's being spun, though, is that they're trying to save retailers by introducing you to new stories that they'll then go and buy, you know, at a retail shop. But for yeah. me, it's going to have the exact opposite effect. I'm probably going to end up buying all my ancillary stuff digitally, and if I were to be enticed by a new story. I don't know that I would go to a retailer and buy it if I've already got the the first issue digitally. I'd just buy the next five issues in the story and save myself a buck than going out and buying a hardcover of it. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I I, I think that's – I'm going to be curious to see what the actual – result from this is, like what they they get from it because, I mean, like for me, it's like – 
you know, I buy, I buy hard copies of, of, I'm not, I'm not saying a, a limited number of books, but I mean, my, my pull list is certainly isn't as large as a lot of other people who are big comic book people are. Um, um, with that said, um, you know, I, I only buy what I need to read immediately. And I've always appreciated the digital code option because like if I bought like a run of comics, um, maybe for the show, you know, because we were going to talk about for the show that in retrospect, it's like, "Ah, I really don't need those in my collection. I would feel more justified in, in, in getting rid of those comics, um, either by donating them or lending them or whatever. Uh, because I still had the digital codes as kind of a keepsake from it, you know, like where I could go back to it. Um, so now like my inclination is kind of like, you know, maybe I need to rethink, what I'm buying in print and for everything else, you know, as a subscriber to Marvel Unlimited, if I, if there's no immediacy to it, I'll just wait the six months or whatever to read it on Marvel Unlimited. And I, I think this whole, like, you know, I love my retailers, but like, I do think there has to be a reckoning at some point where it's like Marvel doesn't stand to make, uh, you know, they can, they stand to make more money going completely digital they don't have to print books. They don't have to ship things. They don't have to do any of that stuff. They can just have you buy their book digitally. And I think it, in the long run, it, it's, it's smart for them to lower the costs on the digital book so that it becomes more like the spinner rack. People can pick something up without having to have the anxiety of spending $4 on it or you know $5 or whatever. You right. know? And the only way they do that is by lowering – you know their the, their expenses on these books, and a lot of that is shipping, and and you know, and they're taking a bite doing that way. But if everybody that reads Marvel comics bought stuff digitally, they could lower the price and experiment more. Um, so, I mean, I think it's smart for them to you know support retailers and stuff. But I I think they're probably having an internal conversation about like, do we really need to? You know, like like. Is it serving our business? I mean, heck, Dan. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll push. I'll go one up on you and say, not only is the future probably digital, I think the future is probably something, um, you know, kind of akin to what they're already doing in Marvel Unlimited, but maybe slightly expanded. I mean, I don't know. Are you familiar with the the Texture app, Dan? Yeah. You know, Texture for those who aren't, it's it's for uh, magazines, and there's, you know, I would say about a hundred or so. Um, magazines that are it's a, a part of the subscription service it's um and it's all up to date that you know like as it's coming out stuff and you pay a monthly fee um and you can download magazines offline and and you can access the archives uh back to a certain date um so it's kind of like a combination of both um netflix but also like real live you know, up to date digital. It's not like you're not waiting X amount of months for something to kind of be processed through. Um, again, like kind of what you're doing with Marvel Unlimited, and and you know, you almost got to wonder as more companies kind of follow that model, um, if it is indeed profitable. I mean, Texture's been around for a few years now. Um, you know, what's what what's you know what's going to stop fans from just being like you know. Wanting something, you know, demanding something like that. Like I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily want to just pay two ninety nine 
for a book. I want to spend 15 bucks a month and get as many books as I can. You know, like I, I, I feel like we're, we're starting to move more and more into that direction in terms of how we consume media. It's not, nobody just does one thing anymore. Like <laughs> there's no attention span for it. I mean, there's, there's, there's also the way comics are, are, are written and laid out and, and, you know, and, and the amount of story you get, I just don't know if $3 even digitally is a justified price for a comic Yeah, for the amount of, for the amount of entertainment you can get out of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, trades are certainly a way to go, but like, yeah, new readers aren't necessarily buying single issues. Like I, I can't, I, I don't know many people that I've turned on to comics that have gone from like, Oh, comics are cool. Let me start buying them every week. You know, like, and of course there is gr- always growth in that realm. People love their single issues, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, I think, yeah, the only way that's going to work is if it's, you know, if people can binge for seven or eight dollars on Netflix for a month, I don't think people are going to want to get two comics for the equivalent price. You know, uh, right? I mean, um, like, you know, do you want to rent a do you want to rent a movie through iTunes for 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 four bucks, or do you want to um, buy a you know and watch it for two and a half hours, or do you want to buy a comic um, through Comicsology or Marvel dot com and be done with it in ten minutes? Yeah. I, I don't know if it's – I mean we obviously still pay all that money because we love the art form. But yeah, it, it get, becomes increasingly difficult to justify. Yeah. So um, you know, I, I don't know – again, I, 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 I'm going to be really fascinated to see what the net result from this is. Um, you know, I mean, you know, on one end, no, I don't want to wish – I, I, I like Marvel and I like Marvel products, so I, 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 I guess I want them to succeed, but at the same token, I wouldn't be shocked if they didn't, and, and I, I, I hope that if they don't, if this doesn't work out the way they want, that it does, they don't start kind of attacking other things. Like, I mean, I, I, I guess where I'm talking about is like Marvel Unlimited. I mean, do they start stripping Marvel Unlimited of all the new stuff? You know, like, like oh, you know, now you got to wait a year and a half before you get a new issue. You know what I mean? Because it's like, you know, what's the people who are, you know, I've already seen people say with the, with this announcement, like, Oh, I'll just wait for the trade now. And it's like, well, you know, if you're going to wait for the trade, you might as well just subscribe to Marvel unlimited and you can get all right. the trades. Right. You know? For the like, same price. Yeah. For yeah. less. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, this this seems like kind of a small, you know, deal, but it, it I think it has bigger ramifications and is just another like big step, uh, you know, forward for the industry figuring out what its future is. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. Is it a brave new world or not, Dan? <laughs> I don't know. It might be days of future past. Aye, aye. Watch out for the Sentinels. <laughs> They'll always. take your comic book money. <laughs> <laughs> um, why, don't you, why don't you bring us home on that dark note? All right. That sounds fair. Uh, of course, you can find all of our new Amazing Spider Talk and old Superior Spider Talk podcasts over at superiorspidertalk.com. And you can find us on all the usual places like iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and YouTube by searching for Amazing Spider Talk. 
And if you do, please leave us a rating. We haven't gotten one of those in a little while because they're how we know that you're listening, that you care about us, and it's a great way to get new listeners to come on board. And lastly, if you have any opinions on the comic we discussed today, that's Amazing Spider-Man 252, or any other questions for us, be sure to email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com, or you can leave us a voicemail at 9RedGoblin, and if you are the Red Goblin, i got to hear about your quintessential quiche. you got, you got you got to tell us an update on that. And also you can tweet at us at hashtag okay to print, uh, and we'll read the question you attach to that hashtag on the air as well. That's a lot of things you can do. We are all-inclusive as a show. Mark? Well, i got a few more things you can do, Dan. Oh. And that would include checking out our Facebook pages. You could also subscribe to our brother podcast, The Ultimate Spin. Um, and you know why you should subscribe to that podcast, Dan? Why? Well, in addition to it being a really cool podcast, that's where you can get to keep up with adventures of Spider-Gwen and Miles Morales. Which are, we, for the time being, one adventure. Which for the time being, but also we just don't talk about those characters anymore. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's true. That is true. Uh, um, also... Don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club because that's how we keep this show going. We get all this new awesome music that we've been giving you over the past couple weeks and how we give you all those awesome prizes like today's copy of Amazing Spider-Man number 250. Uh, Mark, on next week's show, we're going to be talking about The Clone Conspiracy number four. So uh, we hope you'll join us. And by you'll join us, I mean Mark. Are you going to be there? <laughs> I guess so, Dan. <laughs> All right. <laughs> With bells on? <laughs> that would be really disturbing to our audio recording. Bing! Um, all right, Dan. Well, well, where can I find you with virtual bells on? Oh, yes. You can follow me on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk and read everything that I write and edit and all that stuff over at SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. How about you, Mark? Yes, well, you too can find me at superiorspidertalk.com. Well, I, where I'll probably be talking about clone conspiracy number four and maybe some other things. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at chasing ASM blog. Um, and um, be on the lookout. Uh, for, go pre order my uh, book, 100 Things uh, Spider Man Fans Should Know or Do Before They Die. Um, you can find it on Amazon, I think Barnes and Noble. You can find it on the, uh, the publisher's website, which is Triumph Books. Um, you know, pre-order it and, uh, support me when that book comes out in, uh, the summer. And by supporting me, I also mean supporting our show. Awesome. Well, you know, Mark, I know that your uncle Ben has died a few times in his life or whatever that means. But, uh, was there ever a time where he straight up disappeared for a while? Oh God. Yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Um, you're, you're talking about his, his, his disappearance to um, the world of the Beyonder, right? Yeah, exactly. That's. I mean, I was I was hinting at it, but you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 funny. Like I I um I always was kind of like to Uncle Ben, what 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 was up with that man? And he was like, um, well, here's the deal. Um, the my boss at the um the Mob Ties Factory, um, he wanted action figures. He wanted us all to be action figures. He sent us all to the battle world um, so that we could, you know, basically, you know, and by all of us, he means like 
you know, other guys at the factory, the some of the mobsters that we made the ties for. What a hodgepodge um, of people. Uh, the monkeys that threw um, pies and then ate my face. Um, you know, all of them on this one planet. We did battle and then um, while we were doing battle, I don't know, some like greater cosmic entity made action figures of us all. So I was like, wow. oh, wow, that's 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 really awesome. And um, Uncle Ben, the action figure. What, yeah. What was, so, what was so, it? Did so, he have like karate chop action? Well, no, well, no. He just came with like a shield that had like a reflector, like hot, like a you know what do you call those things? Like a hologram kind of a thing on right, it. Um, right, like right. like like the Secret Wars figures, Dan. Come all on. right. Um, so, you know, he has his, his shield and everything, which is just awesome. But, um, so he shows me the figure and I'm like really like blown away by this. Um, but you know, I was kind of, you know, I was a kid at this point. I was being a little bit of a jerk. And, um, you know, at one point I, uh, was outside playing with the fig with my, with my uncle Ben and my Kang and my Dr. Doom and my flesh eating monkey. And I, 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 I took a magnifying glass and, and, and took the sun. I started melting the plastic of uncle Ben. Oh and, no. And Dan, I don't know what was going on, but there must've been like some kind of like cosmic connection between the action figure and my actual uncle Ben, oh. because as I'm like burning a hole through his head, like through the plastic of his head, I hear him screaming from inside the house and I ran into the house and like, he's got this hole melting in the top of his head saying, I don't know what happened. I'm like, uncle Ben, it's my fault. I could have stopped it. And he said, why have I always told you with great podcasts must also come amazing spider talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.